I shall ne'er get tired of the gates of life in the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I Johnny, I forgot my mic, so I'll be using the pulpit tonight. I forgot a lot of things. I'm <laughs> a little absent-minded this evening, but that's all right. We're going to be in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and just continuing on. While you're finding your place in John, the Gospel of John, if you hadn't heard, I posted on our Facebook page, uh, Church, you blessed us, and uh, through that you blessed the uh, disaster relief Efforts, uh, you gave an offering today of $1,880, and that's, yes, amen, and all of that, every cent of that is going to go to the uh, disaster relief teams that our Southern Baptist Convention uh, is in charge of, and they are already on the ground, like I said, doing a good amount of work. They've got shower units there working, feeding units, and uh, when the doors are open for them to start doing manual labor, they will be doing that as well, and so... All of that money will go directly to them into the ministry they are doing. They also use that money to help train other volunteers. And I, remind, I was trying to make sure you understood there's two trainings coming up in the next uh, week. One is in Jacksonville and then one is over in Corrigan. Um, go to that website or give me a call and I'll direct you where to go uh, about how to get trained to be a part of the disaster relief effort. Well, uh, the Apostle John picks up in John chapter 10, that's where we're at, uh, right where he left off in John chapter 9. There is not a change in scene, there is not a change in time, 
it's that same scene and, and that same uh, setting of time where Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's just after the festival of booths or tabernacles or tents or however you want to call that festival. And uh, he has just healed the blind man there in chapter 9 and he's having this discussion. And uh, we know this because in John chapter 10, the very first verse, it says, Most assuredly, some of your versions might actually say verily, verily. Uh, and these are usually connection words, connecting what Jesus is about to say to what he has just said. A lot of times you'll see that in, in the Gospels, that, that verily, verily. It's another word. Sometimes you also see it uh, translated truly. In other words, John 10 does not start with a change of scenery, a change of action, a, a change of teaching. But also, uh, we can make that connection because in chapter 10, verse 21... This statement is said uh, because they accuse Jesus of having a demon, and there's this, um, there's this discussion and this disagreement among all those that were listening to Jesus' teaching. And in verse 21, they say this, Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And remember, in chapter 9, was all about Jesus healing this blind man that had been born blind. So it's a continuation uh, of the, it's, it's a, a continued discussion with the same exact uh, people. And, uh, this, the, the, and this is a, a, a continuation of the division as well. Remember in chapter 9, there was a division over who Jesus was there as well. It seems like if you're paying attention, every time uh, Jesus teaches, there's a division of some sort. Uh, people who agree, or at least people who are willing to listen, and then those who don't want any part of him. And this is a major point I want to bring up in a minute, is regarding division around Jesus Christ. But between chapter 9 and uh, chapter 10, verse 21, where this connection is made, what you see is Jesus calling out the Pharisees again. In chapter 9, remember, we, uh, he, he heals the blind man, and it leads to his teaching about what it really means to be blind and what it really means to have sight. In other words, he takes a physical manifestation of, of sight and turns it into a discussion about spiritual sight and spiritual blindness. Essentially, in chapter 9, he tells the Pharisees that they are blind when he said that he had come to make the blind see and that those who see make them blind. And, uh, and the blind man had been given physical sight there in chapter 9, but also we saw in chapter 9 that that same blind man was given spiritual sight. Because at the, at the beginning, after he had been healed, he was before the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were questioning him. And uh, they said, testify, this man is a sinner. And, and the blind man says, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. Remember, he's talking about our Lord and Savior, who we know is perfect and sinless. This man had no knowledge of who Jesus was. And so he says, I don't know, maybe he is a sinner. But by the end of chapter 9... The blind man who had received physical sight had gotten some spiritual sight. Because at the end of chapter 9, you have this discussion between Jesus and the man that he healed. And he says, do you believe in the Son of God? And the blind man says, I don't know, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And the blind man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. 
So this man goes from not knowing who Jesus is and saying, yeah, maybe he's a sinner, to by the end of chapter 9, he confesses Jesus as Lord and worships him there in verse 38 of chapter 9. And that's really the point of Jesus' ministry, by the way, is to take unbelievers and turn them into worshipers. To take people who are spiritually blind and get them some spiritual sight. Jesus came to convert people's eyes from being able to see uh, not who he was to being able to see who he is. And, and he does this through calling us from blindness to sight. And this is the connection to chapter 10. His call of the lost to come to him. And starting in chapter 10, he's no longer talking about blindness and sight. Now he's talking about sheep. Now he is talking about the call that he extends to sheep and what it means to be a sheep. And he likens this relationship of sheep to a shepherd and how real sheep know a real shepherd and not real sheep have no idea who the real shepherd is. Well, let's read. We're going to read chapter 10, and I want to go uh, verses 1 through 21. Jesus starts and he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who, who enters by the door in the shepherd uh, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Verse 7, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, who, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd." Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Verse 19, Therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Verse 21, Others said, they, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through it. Lord, that you would get me out of the way, get our distractions out of the way. And that, Lord, you would help us 
to hear from you, hear from your word, hear from your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, about sheep and shepherds and about your identity. And it is in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Jesus moves the dialogue in the direction of sheep and shepherds. And he questions or answers the question about two identities. What are sheep? What are shepherds? Or who are the sheep and who are the shepherds? And I would say in this scripture we, we get a third identity. And that is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus in this scripture? The first identity that we want to tackle is the sheep. Who are the sheep? Obviously the sheep are those that follow the shepherd. Uh, true sheep are the ones that need uh, someone to lead them. But in this case, Jesus seems to be differentiating between sheep of his flock and maybe what we would call wild sheep or maybe sheep that aren't really sheep. I'm not sure. In other scriptures, Jesus speaks of separating the goats from the sheep. Uh, agriculturally speaking, I couldn't tell you the differences or the benefits of having sheep versus goats, or even if there is a benefit or a difference between the two, that's not the point here. The point is a point of identity. The, the true sheep of Jesus know who the shepherd is. And the true sheep that are not owned by Jesus have no idea who he is. The difference is a spiritual significance and not a physical significance. The better question that Jesus seems to be alluding to is, are we of his flock at all? Are we following him as the shepherd? In verse 4, he talks about how the sheep follow him. It says, because they know his voice. But instead, the true sheep that know his voice won't follow the strangers. They won't follow the false shepherds. They will run away. They will flee because they know that's not the true shepherd. And so true sheep not only know who the real shepherd is, but they know who the real shepherd is not. They are able to understand the difference between the true shepherd and a what he calls in verse 4 a stranger. Or verse 5, they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of of strangers. His teaching is that the sheep of his flock also enter only one way. There's only one way to be a part of his flock, and that is through the gate that is uh, uh, controlled by the doorkeeper. They came because they recognize the call of the shepherd, they know the shepherd, and they came through the gate that is controlled by the gatekeeper. We find out later in this where he says, I am the door, I am the keeper of the gate. And so the only way we can enter into the flock of Jesus Christ is through him. What I find interesting in this teaching is verse 6. He says, uh, it, or John, the, the apostle, writes, Jesus used this illustration, but they, the people who were listening, did not understand the things which he spoke to them. G John states that Jesus used this illustration to connect to the people. In a way, it's like a parable. It's an earthly a connection. It's an earthly illustration to try to help them understand what he is talking about. Most of these people would have understood what a shepherd was, what a sheep was, and what that kind of relationship between shepherds and sheep looked like. But John says they did not understand, which is exactly the point Jesus is trying to make, teaching about and illustrating. True sheep know his voice and follow his voice and understand his voice. False sheep do not know it or understand it. 
That doesn't mean Jesus isn't making an effort. He is. And in fact, verse 7, he goes on and he basically reiterates this illustration about the true shepherd and the true sheep. What is important to note is that Jesus uses sheep to illustrate those who follow his voice. Um, and, and a true sheep looks for the shepherd, wants the guidance of the shepherd, longs for that, if you will, relationship and leadership of the shepherd. I remember teaching on this passage many years ago to a group of students. Uh, this is back in Belton at Lakeview Baptist Church and, uh, and, and trying to really trying to explain physically the helplessness of a sheep uh, and how helpless they really are on their own. Sheep have to have a shepherd. They're not like cows. You can put them out in the pasture and they can kind of, you know, you've got, right, Sammy, you've got to check on the cows every once in a while, but they're a little bit independent. I mean, you can leave them out there for a little while. Sheep have got to have constant care. And in the back of the room of youth, I had this little girl raise her hand and, and I knew who she was and, and I knew she worked a lot with animals. Uh, in fact, she was a part of an organization called 4-H. Some of you probably heard about that. And uh, so she, she worked with sheep and goats and cows and chickens and, and all kinds of things. She sewed dresses. Anyway, long story short, she raised her hand. She says, Brother Brian, sheep are the dumbest animals I've ever worked with. And I kind of, uh, uh, well, I'm not trying to say we're dumb. That's not my point. And I would never say that's why Jesus calls us sheep. It's because he wants us to know we're dumb. That's not the point. But we are helpless, and we need the shepherd to lead us. And that's the point, really, that Christ is, is trying to, to, to make. We are helpless. It, we, are, we are in deep need for God's leadership in our lives. And real sheep know this, and they want that. But out of the mouth of the child, sometimes truth comes, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so I didn't belittle her, but I, I certainly, and, and I'm not trying to belittle you. And, and, and believe me, I've heard pastors from the pulpit say, we're stupid, that's why we're sheep. That's not the point. In fact, my point is to help us understand something. The call of God isn't always about understanding everything perfectly. The call of God is about believing and following Him out of faith and not understanding. Because if you could speak to the sheep and you could ask them, do you know where the shepherd is leading you? They would probably say, no, they would probably say, we have no idea, but this guy has led us well before, so we're going to keep following him. Sheep don't know where the shepherd is leading them. They just follow, time, follow him. Sometimes we say something like this. Heaven is going to miss, be missed by 18 inches. In other words, we have all this head knowledge, but we don't believe in our heart. Meaning we can understand everything we, we want about Christ, but we don't believe. But I think this also applies to the confusion of our mind. Some people will not believe because they don't understand. And they will say something, well, I just got to figure it out and then I'll believe in Jesus Christ. And for those, they will miss heaven also by 18 inches. But it's because they really think they need to believe, but they think they need to understand it before they can believe. They want to wrap their head around God before they truly believe in Him. And let me just say, 
we'll never really be able to wrap our head, head around God. We're sheep. We just need to trust and follow and, and put our life in his hands. Jesus identifies the non-sheep. See, that's the sheep. They follow. They listen. They understand who he is. They put faith in who he is. But the non-sheep are identified in verse 12. He says, the wolf catches the sheep. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. If you know someone who used to attend church regularly, who used to talk the talk of Christianity, if you know someone who used to say, yes, I am a believer, but they want no longer to have anything to do with Christianity or Christ, or perhaps they blame the church or they blame God for some hurt in their life, and so they've totally fallen away from Christianity, or, or maybe they have cla uh, claimed to find some higher understanding and they no longer believe in the truth of Christ, you may come across someone who was not truly a sheep. The wolf got a hold of them. He tore them up and they have scattered. And I say this not out of judgment of an individual, but as a way to inform us how we should pray. If you know someone who used to be involved in Christianity and the in the following of Christ with their life, but they have been scattered, it may be that they were never truly sheep. That's what Jesus identifies them as. If they were scattered by the wolf, they were never really sheep. They were never really following and under the protection of the great, good, true shepherd. That individual is more than likely not truly a believer. They've been scattered, and we need to pray for them. We need to pray for an opportunity to talk to them. We need to pray for an opportunity to reveal truth to them and pray for an opportunity to introduce them to the shepherd that we know, which leads me to the second identity. Who are the shepherds? And what Jesus does in this scripture is he identifies two shepherds, two kinds of shepherds, a bad shepherd and a good shepherd, or the true shepherd and the not true shepherds, you might call them that as well. What Jesus is teaching is how we can identify the difference between good and bad shepherds as well. The bad shepherds, they do not enter by way of the door, but instead they enter the sheepfold by some other way, like a thief and a robber, because they are thieves and robbers. According to verse 10, they have one purpose in mind, to come, to steal, to kill, and destroy whereas the true shepherd comes to give life and give abundantly. The bad shepherds are also self-centered. Jesus says in verse 12 that they will not lay down their life. He says in verse 12, they are a hireling who is not a true shepherd, and they do not own the sheep. They see the wolf coming, and they leave the sheep and flee. They run away. They leave the sheep to fend for themselves. They don't lay down their life. In verse 13, he goes on and says that the hireling, the one who is not a true shepherd, he flees because he is a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. How do we know the difference between a bad shepherd and a good shepherd? A, a not true shepherd and a true shepherd? A, a bad shepherd doesn't care anything about the sheep. It's easy enough to understand that in this setting, the bad shepherds, were the Pharisees. The bad shepherds in this context where Jesus is teaching, he is, addressing the he is addressing the Pharisees. They have abused the sheep. They have mistaught the sheep. They have uh, neglected the sheep. And they have left the sheep to fend for themselves. But God has said something like this before. If, uh, if you want to, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 34. 
If not, just let me read it for you. But Ezekiel chapter 34, and, and there's a little section in there that sounds just like this, where the prophet is speaking on behalf of God, and my version, it, it subtitles this little chapter, Irresponsible Shepherds. Ezekiel chapter 34, I want to read a few verses from this. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flocks. Yes, of course. He goes on and says, You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You who slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill, yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. And just as a, a little bit of a reminder, in Old Testament times, the priests, the religious leaders, the Levites, were supposed to be leading the Israelites in the way of God. But often, they would just go with the flow. And they would lead the people to worship in whatever that way they wanted to worship. And in the end, what happened is they were led astray. Or they be turned selfishly towards themselves and took care of themselves instead of taking care of their religious duties and leading their sheep. They were bad shepherds. He goes on in verse 12 of Ezekiel chapter 34. He says, As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day, he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the uh, places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and the valleys and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good uh, fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And so because they had these horrible uh, uh, shepherds that did not lead them, that did not feed them. The word of God is often called the food of God, right? It, we, we, uh, they were scattered abroad, but God is promising one day, I am sending someone, uh, one day there is, there's going to be a gathering of my sheep, and I am going to take care of them. And, and, and further on with this promise, down in verse 22, he says, Therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. Prophecy, talking about this coming of a true shepherd that is going to take care of them, that is going to feed them, that is going to reestablish them, not just as sheep on a hillside that are able to eat, but really what this was promising is there is coming a day when they will be reestablished in relationship with God. Who is this shepherd that's going to come? It's Jesus, of course. And that's the, the other side of this. Who are the shepherds? Because Jesus talks about the bad shepherds. God talks about the bad shepherds in Ezekiel 34. Well, let's talk about the good shepherd. The good shepherd has 
attributes above all that stands out and Jesus points this out over and over. Who is the good shepherd? Jesus claims this identity. Looking back at John chapter 10, he says it twice. In verse 11 and verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. He doesn't leave any doubt in our mind. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. And I'm telling you right now, he has identified them as the bad shepherds. Now he's identifying himself as the good shepherd. And he lists some attributes of what a good shepherd looks like. The first attribute is this. In verse 11 he says, The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Whereas the bad shepherd, or in verse 12 he calls him the hireling, only looks after himself. And at the first sign of the trouble, what does the bad shepherd do? He flees the scene and leaves the sheep to be devoured by the wolf. Those are not the sh- uh, shepherd. Uh, uh, the, sh- the, the good shepherd, though, cares more for them than he does himself. And what does he say? He lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd wants the very best for his sheep. And so he will do everything he can to protect and nurture the sheep. Now, we know because we've lived past the day that this was written. We know when Jesus says a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, we know where he's headed. We know he's going to be laying down his life for the sake of the sheep. At this point, they don't know that. At this point, they think, well, he's just talking about shepherd and sheep. Okay, how's he going to lay down his life for the sheep? Well, we don't really understand that. Although if they really knew Old Testament prophecy, they might understand, wait a second, this sounds familiar. This kind of sounds like Ezekiel. This kind of sounds like the prophet Ezekiel and what God promised through the prophet Ezekiel. He goes on, and not only does the shepherd, the good shepherd, lay down his life for the sheep, but he also says this, a good shepherd owns the sheep. He says, not only do I lay down my life, but I own the sheep. Why does he own the sheep? Because he has paid the price for them. And they are more than just sheep. They are his livelihood. When you think about a shepherd and his sheep, the reason he spends so much time out in that field is because these aren't just animals eating down the grass. And, you know, maybe I I shave their wool every once in a while to get a little income. It's not a hobby. It's not a side income. This is his very livelihood. Jesus is, is basically saying, listen, You're my purpose. Listen, Jesus didn't come here to enjoy the the scenery on earth. He didn't have to do. He spoke it all into existence. Jesus didn't come here to have a vacation from the turmoil up in heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place where he is praised and worshipped night and day. The purpose of Jesus' coming was the sheep. They are his livelihood. They are the purpose for his coming. And, 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 and uh, the Bible says that if we are saved, then we are not our own, but we are possessed by our Savior because we were bought for a price for the sake of our salvation. We are owned by the good shepherd because he paid the price for owning us. He says, uh, I am the good shepherd. In verse 14, I know my sheep and I am known by my own. My own. That, that means we're owned by him. The sheep know his voice. The sheep follow him because they know he is the good shepherd. 
Which leads us to a third identity we need to recognize. And that is this, who is Jesus? Twice he says, I am the good shepherd, okay? Jesus is the good shepherd. This is another one of these I am statements throughout the Gospel of John, these seven or eight I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the living fountain. I am the good shepherd. Even though John states that the listeners listeners did not understand his teaching, Jesus pushed forward and he wants to make sure to connect the dots for these listeners. I am the good shepherd. I am the one who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the one who owns the sheep. But he also says that I am the door. I am the door by which the sheep must enter. Uh, Who is this Jesus? He is also owner as creator, as God himself. He is owner of all things and has authority over all things. We get this doctrine in verse 15. uh, In verse 15 and then also verses 17 through 18. He's owner because he has authority. Look at verse 15. He says, As the Father knows me, and even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then verse 17, he says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. There's authority. Lay down my life that I may take it again. Verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. He has the power. He has the authority, which speaks to that ownership concept. Listen, in all of our understandings and the teachings about the life and the death of Jesus Christ, we need this concept caught in Scripture. Jesus did not die because men determined to kill him, though they did determine to kill him. Jesus died because he allowed them to kill him. He is the owner and he is the authority of all things, including the sheep. And because of that, he is the only one who has the power to say, take my life. All right, I'm coming back to life. He is the one who has that. Who is this Jesus? He is the owner and the authority of all things created. Who is this Jesus? He is also the one who knows and who is known by the sheep, but also by the Father. It's another important concept for us to try to grasp. Jesus says this in verse 14. The sheep know who I am. I am known by my own. He he says this also in uh, verse 3. He says, To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. They come, they follow, because they, in verse 4, they know his voice. They know who he is. Look at Also, verse 15, I lay down my life for my sheep. Oh, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. We are to be knowing Jesus, the Good Shepherd, in the same way that Jesus knows the Father. That's kind of a heavy task though, right? I mean, Jesus is perfect in knowledge. Jesus knows all things. Jesus is all things. All things were created by Him, for Him, through Him, right? So how in the world are we supposed to have this perfect understanding of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, like He has of the Father? Well, it's kind of impossible. Again, we are called to follow the Shepherd, not to know where He is leading us. The Greek word for know, where we say no, doesn't always refer to knowledge or understanding. In fact, it can sometimes, depending on context, be referring to recognition. 
or personal experience. So let's read, just read through verses 14 and 15. And every time you see the word no, we'll substitute the word recognition or recognize. It says, I am the good shepherd and I recognize my sheep and am recognized by my own. As the Father recognizes me, even so I recognize the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. We could also translate this word no, which is the Greek word gnosis, as personal experience. You know, a long time ago we used to ask this question, have you had a personal experience of salvation with Jesus Christ? He's not asking us to know the shepherd like he knows the Father. He is telling us we need to have a personal experience with him in the same way he has a personal experience with the Father. He's talking about, really what he's talking about is relationship. Because there's no way we can ever know him like he knows the Father. He and the Father are one. Now We're, we're called to be one with him, but we're imperfect. We're flawed beings in this flawed world. So that's never going to happen this side of heaven. But we can have a personal experience with him. Do you have that personal experience with Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? The final identifier of Jesus is that he is the deliverer. Verse 16, he says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. What a difficult and troublemaking type of verse. In the Christian community, there are all kinds of debates as to who Jesus is talking about here. Who are the sheep of the other flock? The Mormons and other false religions like Mormonism like to claim this verse to say, well, Jesus was talking about us. We're the other sheep. We don't have to believe like you. We can believe like we want. And Jesus says he'll bring us into the flock. Eventually, there's coming a day. Uh, many false religions like to claim this verse. Even Christians who like to believe that God will eventually save all of humanity like to claim this verse. I have many sheep of which you don't know, not of this fold, and them also I must bring in. And that would be a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling for us to say, well, see right here, Jesus is going to save everyone eventually. That's not what he's saying. Because... Well, I mean, if we just go back through the scripture we already looked at and think about the things that Jesus said, verse 1, he says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door is like a thief or a robber. And then a little later on, he says, Who is the door? I am. He says, I am the doorkeeper. I am the one who keeps the door. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. So we can say the opposite of that is true. If anyone does not go in through me, they will not be saved and will not go in and out and find pasture. Our scripture we memorized this week, which comes a few chapters after this one, John 14, 6. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so I say the scripture rules out completely this idea that all the other religions will someday be brought in by Jesus and brought in and made a part of the fold. Not at all. So what 
is he talking about? Because belief in him is essential to salvation. I, I believe these other sheep, and maybe you already know this, you're smart folks. I believe these other sheep are Gentiles. I believe these other sheep are the non-Jews, the Greeks, the barbarians, the Egyptians, the, the people of all of the nations that are not Jewish, even us Americans, right? We're, if we're not Jews, we are the Gentile race. And Jesus was and still is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise to Abraham that one day you will be given a seed that will sit upon the throne and will bless all the nations and bring all the nations in into relationship, essentially. Of this fold might be our hint because the fold he was talking to right here in chapter 10 is the Jews. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of God reconciling every tongue, every nation to him and through him. As long as they go through the door who is Jesus Christ, they will be saved. Before Jesus, we were Jews and Gentiles. But after Jesus, he delivers the Gentiles into the fold of God's pasture, of God's uh, uh, sheep shepherdness. <laughs> he is the great deliverer that brings in all true sheep into the fold. That is, by the way, the family of God. We identify that also as the church. Someday, and he's talking about after his death and after his resurrection, that he would bring in these other sheep. And that's fulfilled in the ministry of Paul and the other apostles as they reached outside of the Jewish community and took the message of salvation through Jesus Christ to all the nations. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2. Again, you don't have to turn there, but let me just read this scripture real quick in closing. Uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that at the time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Doesn't that sound like someone bringing someone into the fold to you? For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as, uh, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. That means this disagreement, this constant at-battlement. That was what was between the Jews and the Gentiles. Verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. What does Jesus say back over there in John chapter 10? Uh, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. God, Christ, the great deliverer, who brings in all the nations as long as they enter through him the door of Jesus Christ. What a great promise. We were those other sheep. 
we were, unless you're a Jew, we were those other sheep. When we read the scripture, we should, we should be energized on the inside to recognize what Jesus is talking about here. We have realized in full because Jesus has brought us into the sheepfold through his ministry, through his death, through his resurrection. We have been brought into this one family under one shepherd, Jesus Christ. There's one more identity about Jesus Christ, by the way. He's a troublemaker. We read verses 19 through 21, and let me just sum it up by this. You have probably recognized by now, I've already talked about it a little bit. Every time he teaches, there's division. Listen, there will never be 100% agreement among humanity about the identity of Christ. When he was alive and well and working miracles, they could not agree on who he is. We should not expect anything different. As we minister in the name of Christ, as we witness about who Christ is, we need to understand people are not going to agree with us. In fact, we are more likely to have disagreement over who he is. We're likely to have disagreement of, of what it requires to be saved. And I don't mean that as to be a Debbie Downer statement, you know, but just a realization for us to know how to pray. God, help me deal with the division that comes up when I start ministering and witnessing and sharing the gospel with others. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit.